Hello, fellow songwriters, and welcome to the 15th episode of the How Songs Are Made podcast, where we talk to notable artists about their songwriting process. I'm your host, Trey Xavier, and today we're going to be talking to my pal Sahil Makija, a.k.a. The Demon Stealer, about how he writes songs. Today's episode is sponsored by the amazing DistroKid, the best way to get your music on the internet and their awesome HyperFollow feature. HyperFollow is a completely free and awesomely powerful promotional tool for anyone using DistroKid. It is the one-stop shop for all of the links to streaming services and stores for your DistroKid release. This is the link that you give people when they ask to hear your band. Okay, it's Thanksgiving. Your aunt is like, are you still doing your music? Where can I hear your band? This is the link that you give her because it just takes all the different things that uh, places that you can get your music. It'll all be right there. Um, The instant that you finish uploading your song to DistroKid, you can start making your release and uh, marketing your release rather and collecting pre-saves on Spotify, which includes fan email addresses that you can add to your email list with your HyperFollow link. Um, and as soon as you your release goes live, the links on there will automatically update. So you only ha- need the one link, and it just automatically updates as you release things. Pretty amazing. Uh, the, the link never changes, and you can find it on your DistroKid album page. Um, this is just a super simple tool that every artist should be using. And you can check the link in the description for 7% off your first year of DistroKid. So... You may know him from his cooking channel, Headbangers Kitchen, or from such bands as Reptilian Death, Solus X in Fairies, the comedy metal band Workshop, or most likely, the mighty Demonic Resurrection. They call him the godfather of Indian metal. Please welcome my my guest today, Sahil Makija, a.k.a. the Demon Stealer. Hey. I'm going to say it like that every time. <laughs> Hey, Trey, thanks for having me. Dude, what's up? Thanks for taking the time to be on. Well, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> I'm glad there's no, there isn't like a delay. Like, you are literally on the other side of the world. I think we figured out you're 12 and a half hours. Like, <laughs> you go any further than that, and you're getting closer again. <laughs> so um, I'm grateful for the technology. And um, first of all, how are you doing? Well, not too bad. Just recovering from the flu. Uh, not COVID, thankfully, but uh, otherwise, can't complain. Great, man. Well, I think of you fairly often, actually, because as I as we've discussed, I make your keto pancake recipe a couple times a week. No joke. It's such a silly thing, but you legitimately helped me lose lots of weight. Amazing. And your uh, cooking channel has taken off big time, close to 700,000 subscribers. It's it's kind of fun. It's your full-time job, really, right? Yeah, that's pretty much what I do full-time. Yeah, and I'm really glad to hear that the recipes helped you. I guess that makes two YouTubers that have used my recipes that I know of. Yeah. Who's the other one? Is it Glenn? Yeah, it is Glenn. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very inspiring. I mean, I, uh, I'm a very picky eater. So if you found, if you made something that I like, then you did a great job. So thank you for that. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about your songwriting process. Really, there's only one question on this podcast and all the other questions are follow-up questions. That question is, what is your songwriting process? 
because you are so prolific, you've been in so many bands and you do so many different projects and stuff, I guess what I want to know is how it differs from project to project and all of that. Your most recent release was the Holocene Termination EP. So I think probably that's the the best context to talk about it in. But what was the process like for that and how does it differ from anything in the past? Well, basically, I mean, we're looking at 24 years of writing songs because that's how long I've actually been making music. But I think what is the same uh, across all the years is that 90% of my songs actually just start with the guitar and a riff. That's that's how I would say 90% of the ideas are born that finally turn into songs on my EPs or albums. And this is with pretty much any project that I've been a part of. Obviously, there are other factors that determine uh, where the song goes. And there are some songs that may have been born from a keyboard riff that may have been written by... Uh, other members of the bands that uh, I have and that, you know, members who have been part of the projects as well. Um, And sometimes it's um, just simple conversations that have uh, altered the way songs have been, you know. It's largely a varying process, but uh, like I said, 90% of it starts with that guitar riff that makes me go, okay, I need to record this right now. That's where it kind of starts, you know. Yeah, so that's where it starts. What's the next step? Okay, so if we're talking specifically about Demon Stealer, um, it's me sitting down once I figure out, okay, this riff is great. I want to, you know, start recording this. And I just kind of sit and naturally finish a song most of the time in one sitting. Uh, A general structure of just the riffs together, the number of bars that they go in. Sometimes I'll get stuck and I'll stop and I'll start a couple of days later or something. But... Most times I'm able to finish a song in one sitting itself because I guess by now I have a, I guess, a sound, a formula, a sort of style that is, you know, a sort of uniquely me, I hope. <laughs> and it's it's just putting the riffs down in the DAW. I don't tab anything. I don't uh, write down notes. I just record the entire song bit by bit, all the riffs. I arrange them how I think they should arrange. And obviously I leave it at that and that's when it's it it goes to the other musicians depending on who's working on the project with me in the old days i would actually program drum parts or you know rough drums and um, later on i would actually play drums you know because i had a studio with a with a kit and i love playing the drums so i would just sit on and jam on the songs myself mm-hmm. uh, and i'd record those jams and that's how i kind of put down ideas and then I build it up layer by layer again in Demon Stealer because there are so many moving parts. You know, there's different bass player, different drummer. There's there may be a guest vocalist. There may be a solo. There may not be. So uh, I kind of work with that. And with with Demon Stealer, what I've tried to do because one of the things that I wanted, especially in the uh, uh, the 2018 album onwards that's when I started to get the multiple musicians on um, the albums Mm -hmm. was to give the drummers a clean slate to work with I felt that I kind of gave them an opportunity to put forward an idea that maybe they would not have put forward if I had given them a reference track to work with like I want this feel or I want this kind of groove and you know sometimes the, the, the parts they've written have been 
incredible and i would have never have thought of even putting some of those parts in there and other times they've put something that i yeah maybe didn't dig so much so i tell them okay could you possibly change this and they do that you know cuz that kind of is is how it works and yeah with bass players also it's pretty much okay here the drums and guitars do your thing you know as long as you're in tune i don't really care <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. The, one of the questions that I had written down was basically, how much leeway do you give your collaborators? And uh, that's that's the answer right there. You give them mostly carte blanche. You're, they come up with something and you don't like it, you'll ask them to change it. But it sounds like you, for the most part, especially this works because you're working with fucking sick people, like <laughs> dudes who know their shit. That sounds like it works out pretty well. You let them take it where they're going to take it mostly yeah i mean that's the idea at the end of the day is to have some amount of collaboration in the project because you know while i do i don't know maybe it's an age thing i've become a little more flexible with the way songs turn out now than i was mm -hmm. when i started writing music you know i think i went the other way <laughs> <laughs> when i started uh, it was me and the drum machine and and everything else was programmed in fruity loops or on some basic software in fact the first demonic resurrection album was literally every single thing was done by me oh shit <laughs> like i programmed the drums i played the bass or i programmed the bass i programmed the keyboards and fruity loops i did all the all the vocals and yeah and i guess that did not go down very well with uh you know the band members that's actually what i think a lot of my initial struggle and problems with the band was that i was a you know i wanted everything my way and i i didn't really know how to be a, in a band as a as a person as well you know it was like my way or the highway kind of situation and eventually band members turned on me and was like dude <laughs> we're out if you're doing this so you know it was a, definitely a, a a learning and learning to actually let go sometimes and let other people do their job or their part which which we did do in 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 the initial days of dr as well you know the the bass player actually played the bass on the a re-recording of the first album and he did some backing vocals the keyboard player she played the actual keys and she did the singing so slowly slowly over time like with you know dr members who were in the band who stayed in the band for a long time who basically refused to take crap from me and told me that no no we have to all write <laughs> the songs together we're not going to do this so like yeah there was a lot of learning i think over the first 10 years for me because I I started as a solo artist and when I say solo I literally did everything solo and all my side projects were also kind of started off as solo projects and there was something I had to kind of learn which was not a musical thing actually but it it definitely did help the music to have you know more people sort of help you advance your learning and understanding of music as well because they're bringing something that you would not normally do yourself. Mhm. Mm That's important collaborative writing is uh, is almost a different thing from sitting down and writing yourself in your DAW, which is mostly how I do it. I don't think of myself as a good collaborator. So I love hearing how other people collaborate when they do it. Because, you know, you as, a, as somebody who is kind of a one-stop shop, you literally play drums well enough that you played them in a band like uh, reptilian death is you on drums right you play guitar bass you do the vocals you write keyboard parts you could do everything 
that can lead to like a like, well, why would I let you do it when I can do the whole thing and have complete control? But now then you go like, well, oh, because somebody else might have something to coll- to contribute that I didn't think of. Yeah. And I also want to actually collaborate with certain musicians, like especially with Demon Stealer. I do want to have an album with George Colias on drums. I do want to have, you know, Kevin Paradis, uh, David Dipole, Romain Goulon, all these guys playing on that on the songs. Like, you know, as as much as I can play the drums, I will even if I program the drums, they will not be as good as these guys because you know, these guys are, are specialists at what they do. And it's the same thing with uh, the bass, you know. And and I uh, I don't know if you heard my EP before the Holocene termination. That was that was all me. That was actually me doing drums, bass, guitars, vocals. Like, nobody else was there. Not a single guest musician on the album. Yeah, I mean, like, if I want to do that, the op- opportunity is there for me. And I actually do that if I feel like it's something I want to do. But I also, at the same time, want to have these... Uh, incredible collaborations because they are something that I feel like I want my music to have that that level of musicianship on it. Well, how do you feel about the results of the those two differences? One where you did everything and one where it's all guest musicians on every track aside from yourself. Well, I actually think it came out pretty well. Like they are two v- very different sounding EPs and that's not a bad thing necessarily like it's not like one is musically worse than the other it's just that i think when i play all the instruments it's the songs are a certain way then i think it, there's a lot more focus on just the song as itself it's like i would say how you probably like when you listen to a pop song or a top 40 song you're not necessarily listening to oh, who's the drummer on this and what is that drummer playing or what is this crazy you know bass line that's going on in the background like everything there is just playing for the song so to speak because my skill level is is to play um you know maybe i cannot play the most complex fills but i know where to accent the riff with with what instrument and you know how the bass needs to support the guitar and where the bass can sort of um you know, go off on its own and, and, you know, do something more. And when I collaborate, it's kind of like the song is built on also the musicianship because they can do a lot more that I can't do, which then allows me to sort of guide the song in a way that even though it's, it's a, you know, on, on its own, it's a great standalone song, but you also are blown away by the instrumentation and the playing because the performances are like outstanding. Yeah. When you're writing these and you're thinking about like, oh, this will go, this will be a a guest person for this instrument, for this idea. Do you usually have a person in mind who's, you're like, oh, this has to be the most incredible blast beat section. Only drummer X can do this. Or is it kind of like, I just need somebody who's better than me (laughs) at the drums. That's actually interesting because it's, it's a little different here in some of the songs and some of the songs it's not because you see i also have to navigate who's available to actually play and who's affordable yep you know because uh, as much as i would like to afford every single drummer and you know bass player a lot of musicians are fairly expensive uh, so i'm often bound by uh, those constraints but like just to give you an example i think for my um, for the 2018 album, The Last Reptilian Warrior, 
that entire album started because uh, I am part of a drumming group on Facebook called Metal Drummer Nerds Worldwide. And Kevin Paradis is a regular uh, poster on that group. And he was, I think, just starting out like with his you know recordings and he was uploading a lot of stuff regularly. And he one day uploaded a benighted cover at 270 BPM. And for some reason, 270 BPM just blew my mind. I was like can I write a song at 270 BPM for you? And he's like, sure. So I, <laughs> I went to my studio and I wrote a song at 270 BPM. I just put the metronome on 270 and I jammed along with it till I had a riff that I liked. And I just built up the song from there. And that's how the process started. And then I was like, okay, you know, who else can I see if they're available? I wrote to Krim. He said, I'm available. I said, okay, I've got a couple of riffs that I had written ages ago. Again, I'd never thought of who's going to play drums on it, but they're just riffs I had written down, I think, uh, and recorded. Because whenever I'm playing guitar and I have an idea, I just start to throw it into, you know, Unnamed Song 1, Unnamed Song 2, mm -hmm. you know, Potential Demon Stealer Song 1, Melodic Madness 3, you know, like some name <laughs> yeah. is there. Then go through the riffs, I was like, this song is nice and chunky, it's got like these chuggy chuggy riffs. And Krim was like, listen, don't give me anything that's 270 BPM because I can't do 270 BPM. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so I was like, okay, this I have these riffs, they're at like 220, 230 and they're nice and like, you know, they got those gallops and I think Krim will sound really good on that. And he's free and he's in my budget and also great. And then I think I hit up Romain Goulon who was also affordable and uh, available at the time so I was like okay cool I'll write something keeping his drumming in mind you know so it mm -hmm. it varies quite a bit sometimes the drummers are picked after the song is written sometimes the drummer is picked first and then the song is written you know so you're really keeping them in mind in a lot of the time you're going oh well this guy's gonna be available and within my budget and I like their drumming Ooh, maybe I'll write something that they'll really like or that will be good for what they do yeah, and sometimes I'll even have like three, four ideas that are that are down and I'll be like, okay, um, I've got all these ideas now and I've got confirmation from these two drummers that they can, you know, play on my album. So I think this guy will do well on this song. This guy will do well on this song. So like, it's just kind of trying to think in your head, like, okay, which, which drummer goes with which uh, track and then which bass player goes with which drummer and, you know. Yeah, it's a fun mix and match game, which is also very stressful. <laughs> yeah, that's it sounds it sounds pretty stressful. I mean, really though, which is worse, having to juggle these uh, extremely talented guest musicians, or like trying to keep a band together and get, keep you know, because the once you get the recordings from your guest musicians and it's what you want, then you don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> you don't have to worry about their feelings or. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I, I i'm one of those musicians who's like i probably mail them way more than any other like sessions work they do because i'm like hey guys i'm doing this right now here's the song here's the first mix of the song hey i just did lyrics here if you want to hear the you know the rough vocals and all and i'll send them mails and they're probably like yeah okay cool <laughs> so yeah but definitely i mean uh no like there's no contest there it's definitely harder to keep a stable band lineup together that's always the biggest challenge because uh, there you kind of depend on people beyond just coming and playing their parts you depend on them to also be part of the band to help with other aspects of it to commit to the project you know 
Yeah, exactly. And when it's guest musicians, it's like a it's a one night stand. (laughs) Yep. You know, wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. I think people don't really realize that the majority of musicians, especially drummers, I think, are usually available to to play on stuff if you just have the scratch. Like you can pay. I mean, I've found most musicians in bands up to a certain level, especially in death metal, because it's it doesn't pay that well in general, I'm sure you know, but are just willing to do uh, features. And if they're not on tour or something, you can just pay them and they'll and they'll be into it as long as you don't suck. That's great. Yeah, that's like they all need work, you know, at the end of the day. And they are full time musicians. And unless they're on the road, like, you know, they they have the time and if they have the resources to do it, yeah, I, I don't see why they wouldn't, you know. It seems like during the pandemic, pretty much everybody got their home recording set up yes. together. They yes. got their shit together because they were like, well, we can't go on tour, so I'm going to go on Twitch and I'm going to be doing features and in session work. So I got to become an engineer now. And everybody just did it. And so going forward, they still are going to have all that stuff, whether or not they're going on tour. So it seems pretty awesome. Pretty awesome time to get that kind of thing on your on your recordings, you know. So everybody at home, reach out, reach out to your favorite metal musicians and give them a little bit of work if you're looking. I've hired two so far for the uh, upcoming In Virtue album, so. Nice. Yeah, dude. So, okay, so um, maybe uh, maybe take us through the process for like one song on the on the Holocene Termination. Like, what's one that maybe had an unusual process getting from your riff idea or first little nugget of an idea to a final product so i think uh, from all the songs on that ep uh, i think the song with simon Schilling on drums and uh, fabio from flesh god doing a solo and uh, anton on bass was the song that had the i would say the most work done on it so i actually wrote in fact i think it was i had a conversation with simon about doing a song together and he's like yeah great i like your stuff and you know uh, write something nice and cool you know try and make a song with a tempo change in it you know maybe do like a 44 250 bpm in the start and then you can go into like a triplet uh, at like you know 150 160 bpm so i was like okay he's given me some guidelines so i actually wrote a song with those changes, like we start, just put the metronome on, wrote the first section of the song, wrote a middle section and then kind of went into this tempo change part and I sent it to Simon and he's like, yeah, I like the start of it and I like the end of it, but the middle sounds a bit too much like Viking metal, you know, galloping <laughs> drums kind of feel. So could you possibly like, you know, just brutal it up a little bit? So I oh. okay, went back. Yeah, so he gave me feedback and I went back to the drawing board and was like, okay, take this out and figured something out. And then and then he was like, okay, great. And uh, then he just practiced and started sending me like uh, his rough tracks. And the funny thing is Simon does not know how to punch in takes. So he was like, he had to basically record the song from start to finish without any mistakes. Wow. He doesn't know how to edit his drums. Yeah. <laughs> so he doesn't know how to edit his drums. He doesn't know how to punch in uh, if he makes a mistake. So he literally does that one take thing. He starts and he had to shoot video as well. 
So hot damn. Uh, <laughs> that was insane. Yeah. I don't think I know the guy that you're talking about. What is what's the band that he's from? So Simon Schilling plays with Marduk currently. Ah. Uh, he's Simon Bloodhammer Schilling. Okay. Yeah, he's played before with Nerve Cell and uh, a whole bunch of other bands uh, that I should have looked up before this. Uh, but but <laughs> Marduk is, I mean, Marduk is pretty famous. So, you know, and Marduk yeah, yeah. is just blasting anyway. But he's like an insanely, like he's like a, I would say, young Derek Roddy kind of, you know, like yeah. what Derek Roddy was back then. Like Simon is is that now, like one take blast machine. One take Roddy. One Yeah, one take shilling. Yeah. So, I mean, that was like... That's good. I I love learning about new drummers, dude. I love watching drummers so um, so much. I don't give a shit about guitar (laughs) players. I want to see cool drummers. (laughs) I'll look him up. Yeah. So, that was the the song that had a bunch of work done. And then the rest of it was pretty easy because, you know, once the drums and guitars were done, then the vocals just sort of fell into place. And, you know, uh, Anton also, I just sent him the song and like he just, he sent it back and was like, perfect. The bass was like incredible. Uh, yeah, and then Fabio also did his thing, and and then the song was done. It was pretty cool. Um, so you all—it's almost like you let the drummer produce the track to an extent. You had some ideas, but he gave you the prompt, like, "Hey, here's some here's some ideas, some guidelines, maybe that would be cool." And then you wrote something to that prompt and sent it to him, and he was like. Ah, oh, maybe you should change this. Yeah. That's that's incredibly unusual, but but cool. Yeah, in fact, that that's not the first time it's happened either. <laughs> With David Dipold as well, I had sent him a song. Uh, I think it was the Human Pestilence is the song I had sent him, and when he first heard it, he he did program some drums to it to send me ideas, and he was like, you know, I don't really like this song so much. Can you write another song instead? <laughs> I was like, (laughs) oh my god! And and listen, that I I, to be fair, I my emails to all these guys are like, listen, here's the track. It's completely empty. Let me know if you want to change anything. I'm happy to like have your input and like change the riffs or the structure or whatever. Normally, nobody cares. They just like, here's your drums. Like I've done it. Here's my interpretation. It's like cool. But David was like, yeah, I'm not really feeling this song or whatever. So I was like, okay, cool. I went back, I wrote a new song, uh, sent it to him. He was like, oh, I love this song, great, this one's awesome. He finished drumming to that, uh, I mean, he finished programming the ideas and sent it to me. I was like, this is great, okay, let's go for it. And then he messaged after, I think, another few hours saying, hey, listen, I, you know what, I actually, now I really like the first song as well because <laughs> of the drums I put on it. So <laughs> I'll, I'll just record both. So I was like, okay, cool. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> so I think it's good that you, even though you are writing all of this stuff and it's for your project, you're not a control freak. You're not, it would be so easy for you to be like, no, this is how it goes. Play the drums or I'll, or I'll get somebody else or whatever. Like, but you're just, you're just easy as pie. You're, uh, you know, like, cool, man. Yeah, I'll write another song. Just drop it like it's hot. Yeah, I, I think I'm trying to compensate for being a dick in the first 10 years of my musical career. <laughs> <laughs> trying to make up for the karma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Beyond sort of the drummer's feedback about your songwriting, do you 
ever have outside influence like a produce do you ever work with a producer or do you show your stuff to anyone and try to get feedback on it at any point in the process or anything like that i always um send stuff to get mixed feedback more than anything else um i i basically send it to old demonic resurrection band members uh so i i work a lot with uh, daniel who, who was the lead guitarist of dr for the return to darkness and demon king albums mm-hmm. uh he is now playing you know jazz and bollywood and he also produces more commercial music but he's like got perfect pitch mm. like i remember for my album this burden is mine i had him track all my uh singing vo- vocals that was really helpful because you know he helped me to iron out the sort of kinks in the melodies and uh, sing the actual harmonies that i should be singing because i otherwise <laughs> tend to sing what he likes to term as co melodies which are not really harmonies but they are like random collection of notes that somewhat sound like a harmony so he has been a consistent uh, sort of uh mentor and guide especially when it comes to all my singing vocals like he's he's the one who listens to them says okay you need to redo this or you need to you know try this instead like so he's been there uh for that and generally for mix feedback and song feedback i always send it to mephisto as well the keyboard player of uh, demonic ex keyboard player of demonic resurrection so i have a few friends that i like send stuff to listen to but i don't really change much except for like song names have had a lot of uh like daniel is especially particular about song names and i always like send song name ideas to him mephisto and another ex bandmate of mine from workshop riju so between the three of them i think i get most of my music feedback you have a brain trust yeah circle of trust ah yeah you need it i think you know as i mean like there's only so much you can work in isolation you know and like like as much as i love working alone i also just need to know that i'm not like too in my own world and have a little bit of outside like sort of some kind of hey this is good this does not sound so good or maybe you can work on this or maybe the mix and especially for for my for the mixes like i i think i've i've become like more, way too casual about everything now like i can listen to the first first mix and be like yeah that's great but then daniel will listen to it and be like you know what maybe the top end on this guitar can be cut here or maybe you can you know uh, there's a there's a click and a pop happening on the the fourth verse which you which you obviously didn't hear or something and i'm like oh okay i didn't hear any of that <laughs> so yeah i i do need someone who's got like really good ears to kind of just listen into everything just to make sure things don't go past me so on that sort of note of collaboration you released a new demonic resurrection track recently a single is there an album that that's going with that you're working on so we've put out two songs actually two songs yeah so we put out one single on the 15th of march uh, which has kevin paradise on drums the keyboard player mystique and another local singer and our new lead guitarist and with the same lineup except for the uh, singer pratika we put out a second song which was on the 15th of april so what happened is basically um at some point i was just like done with dr and i was like it's becoming too difficult to you know uh, keep this thing going and then with the pandemic i kind of got a kick in the butt saying hey man you have the privilege to sit at home and record music stop whining and complaining about uh your problems you know getting booked for tours or whatever it is that you know you f- 
feel sorry for yourself and just write your music <laughs> and you know let it happen so i figured instead of doing an album what made sense to do was actually a couple of singles so we did these uh, four artworks for our 20th anniversary uh, in 2020 they came out only in 2021 though unfortunately but the artworks were really good and i just figured why not write a song based on each of the artworks done by the artists so that's exactly what i've gone ahead and done now so we've recorded four songs each of them comes out a month apart so the first two are out now and the next two will come out on the 15th of may and then on the 15th of june and i'll probably put them all together maybe put out an instrumental version of the tracks as well on in july sometime but it it won't be like an official album most likely okay it's just a s- collection of singles collection of singles all right so did you um work on those together with the other members of the band as a collaboration or was it more um that you wrote them well well so there's so technically there's no real band dr again is in this weird place where um, our lead guitarist who was officially with the band uh, he moved to america during the pandemic so mm. that wasn't going to work out so we had no lead guitarist we've been playing with a sessions bass player since 2017 even though viru is still officially in the band obviously uh, he was unable to do the last tour we did in the uk and he's also now you know he's a full time sessions drummer uh, so for him he had to get back to playing shows and things like that so there was no way he was going to be able to learn all the the new songs i was writing and find time to go record them somewhere in between the uh, you know gigs that he had and also you know the dr stuff is very challenging and given that he has uh, no opportunity to play blast beats in commercial pop <laughs> gigs you know he 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 needs more time to actually sit and get back into playing that stuff to be able to record it so it just kind of made sense to work with uh, some other drummers for these singles at least mm-hmm. uh, so again i just sat down and i wrote the songs myself um sent it to the drummers drummers did their thing sent it back to me uh then mystique has played keys on all the four tracks so she's this keyboard player from australia i don't know if you've heard of her uh but she basically takes deathcore tracks and she pimps them up oh with yes. like orchestra you yes, know I who she is yeah you would have seen her on instagram reels or something mm-hmm. so i don't know there was just something about her orchestral sounds that i just fell in love with when i saw her reels on instagram i was like she's got those choir sounds down and you know so i sent her the tracks and she was like you know these are all great i can do a lot of stuff on it but please uh, send me the vocals as well and i was like ha huh, okay i don't normally write vocals till the very end of everything so i actually sat down wrote out vocals lyrics uh, and recorded them all and sent it to her and then she worked on the keys based on some of the so cuz she did a lot of the choir work that followed the the lyrics and things like that so gotcha. uh yeah that was an interesting thing which we've never done before like uh you know have someone work choir parts based on the actual lyrics and things like that so that was cool and then uh i think by the time she was done with the songs i had discovered aditya on uh, i had been i mean i've known aditya who's the new lead guitarist now for a while i've seen him play with other local bands but more recently he'd been posting a lot more on facebook and his guitar skills are just like insane and he also was the guy who tapped out the holocene termination for me because he works as a transcriber uh with i think a video game company or something so he transcribed my ep for me uh for for like this guitar 
tab edition that I put out. So I was like, okay, I mean, he obviously has a year to transcribe stuff and he can, you know, figure things out and he can play as well. So, you know, I asked him if he just wanted to join the band. So he said, sure. And then he just started working on uh, the solos on the song. So his contribution, at least for this uh, set of songs, is is mostly just the lead guitar playing. But I mean, he had like three solos on one song. So it's a good amount of, <laughs> <laughs> of, of participation. Yeah. So, but yeah, that was it. That's pretty sim- simple to do these. Yeah. So basically, uh, round about the same process. Uh, interesting though to hear that you tend to leave the vocals till dead last. So you're basically writing these tracks as instrumentals and like a bed for your vocals that you just wait until you've got something to kind of put slather it on there. So when you get to that point and you start writing lyrics and vocals to go on top of it, do you ever wind up changing the track that you've written to fit something that you write vocally that maybe you think needs uh, a little something something? I don't think I've ever actually done that because I, I don't know, maybe it's just habit. I've just always been able to kind of fit whatever I'm writing lyrically and and my vocal ideas are always like based on the music. So uh it's rare that I've ever had to... I don't think I've ever had to change uh, that ever, no. Because I would... Earlier, I would just like... I'd press play on the track and I'd just... Uh, just, you know, wing it and do like a rough take of some random words. And then mm-hmm. there were certain parts where certain words may sound good. So I'd use those words based on the subject of the song and write some lyrics based on that or the number of syllables that I've sung uh, to create a part. And... Um, yeah, but no, normally I will just edit the lyrics till they fit the way I want them to fit. That's, I think, something that's all that's been my way. And and even when I'm writing, though, I kind of know, like, okay, so this is going to be a verse part. So I know, like, okay, then this is probably going to be the verse of the song. We've got this main hook here and we've got this part, which is going to be like a pre-chorus. So it's going to have, like, probably some clean vocals on it. So I, I have a vague idea of of the structure in my head, probably. Like, I have some idea of things but yeah i uh, always generally fine-tune the vocals last is there any part of the process in which you consider the live performance of it i find personally that when i do it the way that you're describing um then i wind up going like oh god can i play this guitar part and sing this at the same time (laughs) because generally you're playing you play rhythm guitar and and sing as well but like do you think about that at all or do you just go like, ah, if we ever play this live, I'll worry about it then? Yeah, that's pretty much it. If I ever play it live, I'll worry about it then. But I also think because of just having played and sung for so long, I think the way I also write the the vocal parts is maybe subconsciously keeping that in mind in some way. Like, I mean, there are some songs so that we don't play live at all. So I... But I'm pretty sure like if we practiced it and we had to play it, I would be able to pull it off. Like except for the song that Daniel wrote, which which I can't play even. Like I, <laughs> that's just too difficult for me to even play for let let alone sing and play. That's the one where you, you take the guitar and you and you kinda of put it behind you like you know, and then you just take the microphone for the one song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, but yeah, yeah. I don't think we ever played that song live. Bon Jovi style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that same kind of idea. 
do you ever consider whether the song will pop off in a live sense, for, forgetting whether or not you can actually perform it, let's say, but do you think like, oh, this part, people are going to mosh right here, so this is the circle pit part, or like this is like a big anthemic moment or anything like that? As you're writing it, do you consider that? No, I've never thought like that, but, but Mephisto used to. Like, he would say, I, I don't know if he wrote the part keeping things in mind, but he's like, man, this part, you know, like, I can imagine people going, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. But me, I'm just, I, I, I think when I write, I just, everything else is, like, nothing matters. It's just the song, just the riff, how it makes me feel, uh, what is it doing for me personally, and that's it. Like, I couldn't care less if anyone moshes to it. You know, like that's not on my mind at all. Of course, when I'm on stage and everyone's just like, huh? Then I'm like, huh. But otherwise, like, I mean, it's just, it's not even a thought. Like, okay, that's, uh, that's cool. I, you know, some people think only about that and that's great, except sometimes it doesn't really work on a recording. And then people are like, no, you got to see him live, man. Then you'll understand. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> but it's, it's all, you know, it really depends. To me, how much you play live, and it seems like um, you know you're putting out a lot of music as recordings, but not playing out a ton. So that makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, also not by choice. It's just that the opportunities are like really difficult to come by, and like I mean, that's literally why I almost like gave up. I was just fed up of just trying for like ten years to just book a decent tour, or you know, get like anything like because everything is like oh you got to buy onto this store and pay fifteen thousand euros or like you got to like so i was just like Pfft. yeah fuck that shit <laughs> the one and only time i went on tour i came back like two thousand dollars in debt and it was awesome i had a great time it was worth it as a like nice i mean it was a cheap european vacation <laughs> for a month yeah we've, we've, we've done a few of those <laughs> Um, but I, I remember when you booked that UK tour and if, if it seemed like a huge victory after such a long time, you know, you yeah. like played a, played a pretty sick tour and everything after a lot of frustration that you'd expressed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I would like to switch gears for a second, uh, a little bit and talk about what I think well, for me, was the thing that sticks out the most in your discography, and mostly because I felt as though it was the most, I think, unique, but also the thing that hooked me personally the most, and that's Dash Avatar, which I also don't know if I'm saying right. Close enough. Dash Avatar. Dash Avatar. I fucking love this album. I think I probably told you that. I think that for the most part, especially kind of the earlier Demonic Resurrection stuff, there was a lot of um, it, it's it sounded very Scandinavian influenced. And although there was a lot of a lot of different stuff in there, you know, it, it, it didn't have the uh, the regional flavor <laughs> until we get to until we get to Desh Avatar. And um, I am I'm so curious about every part of this, because from the right out of the gate with um, Matsya, the fish, you've got all kinds of 
uh, Indian sounds on there, like Indian instruments, the sitar, which I think is is Rashab scene, right? Yeah, that's Rashab. An absolute dick ripper on the sitar. Um, we've got a bunch of videos of him on the channel um, doing covers and stuff and all kinds of Indian percussion and stuff. I don't even know where to start asking you about this because there were so many. For those of you who haven't heard it, it's, I think, a lot of stories of Indian mythology and stuff like that and um, and different like folk tales and stuff. And just the, the so much storytelling in the lyrics, an incredible amount of like very epic storytelling. And I was like, what the fuck is I've never heard anything like this. So can you tell us a little bit about how you were inspired to do that? If it was like the process was any different. And then also uh, we had a, a question in my discord when I um, posted about this, which I will actually let you start talking about it and I'll find the question. <laughs> so this actually sort of predates back to the Demon King album because the uh, Demon King album is where we had the first conversation about uh, doing something with uh, Indian mythology or should I say Hindu mythology, so to speak. Uh, okay. My friend, uh, well, actually Mephisto, his, Mephisto's friend had written uh, a sort of modern day interpretation of this book called Ramayan. Uh, it's basically a mythology, like mythology, Ram, Ravan, Sita, the demon king himself. Uh, and I didn't really want to write a story based on that. Or I didn't want to use that story for the album. I wasn't just sold on the idea. But for some reason, the title, The Demon King, was something that stuck and I liked. So we said we'll use the title, The Demon King, which kind of represents Ravan, who's, who is the Demon King. And I will write my own sort of uh, story about it. But we kind of went with the imagery of the original mythology Ram versus Ravan. Ram is the god who slays the demon king Ravan. Um, so we have we have that imagery on the cover. And that's kind of where the sort of idea of starting to uh, use in Hindu mythology as a lyrical idea started. Sometime after that, my wife actually told me the story of Narsimha, the man lion. Now, I've actually grown up in a very Western household, so to speak. Like, I wasn't really told all these stories. My exposure to them was what was shown on national TV, which was really bad graphic and <laughs> television show versions of, you know, these uh, stories. So for me, this was never cool. It was always like cheesy and, and you know, religious. And I this just was not my scene. But when my wife told me the story, I was... I was quite impressed. I was like, well, it's a pretty brutal story. And she said, yeah, you know, it's actually the stories are pretty gruesome and they, they're they actually like quite interesting. So that's kind of when we sort of thought of the idea of doing Dashavatar, which is basically the uh, stories of the 10 dif different avatars of the Hindu god Vishnu. So Vishnu is the preserver, basically. So these are his 10 avatar stories and it seemed like a great concept for an album. Uh, you know, 10 songs, each song telling you a story of one of the avatars of Vishnu. So that's kind of how uh, we decided on the album name and the theme for the album. And originally, actually, Mephisto wanted to not tell the stories as they were. So he was like, we should write 
we sort of tell the stories from a different perspective kind of showing how god is actually not so good and he wanted to kind of rework the stories and i was like look nobody in the west has ever heard these stories so like you might as well give them the 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 <laughs> basic story first then you can sort of create a you know different uh, uh, version of it or whatever but anyway that's actually where he and i didn't really see eye to eye on things uh, even though i did like make an effort to start the album with like a monologue that kind of explains that you know god and demons are all man made and you know we basically kind of telling you that man made demons and man made god that intro gives me gives me goosebumps when i listen to it i'm just like oh it sets it up perfectly that's the music to my ears yes so <laughs> anyway we had a we didn't really see eye to eye on that but we started writing the songs any which way i started in the studio actually and we decided that look we can kind of bring in some indian instruments into this because uh, like for example krishna uh, he actually plays a flute in the story uh, so it's his instrument so we could actually have a flute in the song krishna and we could probably have some tabla across in a few songs where it makes sense you know the idea was not to just shove in the indian instruments into every track it's like where it does make sense let's do it there so that was the plan so i actually got into the studio alone me my guitar and a uh, a comic book version of all the stories <laughs> and wikipedia open of course cuz <laughs> i have actually i i mean i just about know the stories myself like i've not had a religious upbringing so i have not i don't know these stories nobody has sat me down and told them to me and like so for me it was as much of a discovery as anybody else so i i for this album i wrote lyrics recorded vocals and structured the guitar all at the same time ah. because this album i had to actually write i don't know it just felt like i needed to write the story and the riffs together because i'm learning the story as i write it you know so instead of writing the entire song and then trying to consolidate the story into the song i i'll do a part by part with the story so like if i actually need like you know 12 bars to tell you part of the story i don't want to later have be like oh i've only got six bars now how do i fit in you know so many different parts of the story because i don't know how long the story will take to actually tell you in song format till i write it out as lyrics so that's why i did it together on this album so that was what i did first and uh, i sent it to the band at the point at that point i don't think anybody listened to the song so that's the other thing being in a band you know chasing band members to listen to demo tracks and like you know tell me if you want anything changed if you have any ideas nobody replied literally so we went straight into i think keyboard recording or, or i think bass was done first so ashwin at that point came down he heard the songs he recorded his bass threw down a few ideas here and there where he had it but mostly he just learned the riff recorded it learned the riff recorded it uh, same with lead guitars nishit came down heard a part wrote a solo you know uh pretty much done there i think keyboard is where mephisto came down and that's kind of where we we just we weren't gelling so i think he did a couple of parts on two different songs and then after that we kind of just parted ways because he he wanted to sit out the album and i was like i don't think that's going to work you know because again we the way the album was going i don't think he was really on board with it so we called it quits and i did the rest of the keyboards on the album and yeah that was that how did you integrate the um the classical indian instrumentation into this um was it after you recorded everything you kind of 
uh, left space for it? Or did you integrate it as you did you have ideas for melodies or parts or whatever as you were going? Um, so I guess I kind of kept that in mind. Um, like a couple of decision, key decisions were taken before the song was even composed. So, for example, Krishna was going to have the flute. So, mm-hmm. in fact, that's the only one part that I did not write on the guitar. So that the main melody of Krishna, that little lead guitar part is actually Nishit's riff, which he had written, I think, years ago, but he never used it anywhere. And I remember him showing it to me and I'm like, yeah, we'll use that in one of the new songs. So because of the, the way that melody was, I was like, okay, cool. So the flute is just going to double this. And I guess I just managed to leave space while I was writing the songs for that part, you know. Uh, similarly with Buddha, like, because the song started with the, the the chant and that chant is kind of the tempo for the song, it left room for, um, you know, the thing to come back again and for the tabla to be there. And I think when 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 I'm writing, like, it's just kind of like, you know that certain parts, okay, the tabla will go well on this so you you marked that out. Uh, I marked it out while I was writing those parts, and I think with uh, Matsya, which Rishabh played on, I just said, "Here's the song. You know, do what you want." And he literally played from the start of the song to the end of the song. <laughs> like he did not stop. He played from start to finish, and I was like, "This is amazing." But I'm going to cut out these few parts here where I think we we can take a break from the sitar. But I think there's like three sitar solos on Matsya. Yeah, they. I was listening to it the other day just to go back, and I was like, "Wow, another one." <laughs> it sounds fucking sick. So, but I just remember being like, "That's a lot of sitar." <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you're you gave them a lot of a lot of free reign once again to yeah. kind of do their thing. So the the question that was from my Discord um, from Andrew Jackson was, how difficult was it to mix the traditional Indian music and the metal together? Did it fit pretty naturally in terms of the rhythms and harmony and stuff like that? Or was it a square peg in a round hole at any point? I mean, there's always the sonic challenge more than anything else, you know, like, especially if you've got like a percussion instrument playing along with double bass, that is a little trickier to mix. Uh, the sitar is fairly, cuts through fairly well on its own. So it was not really hard. Same with the flute, you know, um, they're quite high pitched. So sonically, there's they sit quite well over uh, over the music. I, I did have a little bit of a challenge mixing the sitar in, you know, just to kind of find that balance for it to be present enough, but at the same time, just not be like a sitar solo over the entire track. But I don't think it posed any additional challenge to me while I was mixing, because I think I, I think mixing the Demon King was far worse for me as an album because I think for that album we didn't have a deadline and I think I spent one year tweaking the mix literally oh no that's funny do you think that just having a a tighter deadline on this one or on on Dash Avatar made it a little bit easier to kind of just on the decision making project process yeah yeah definitely because you have a deadline you're like okay it it has to go now like you know otherwise it's just like okay cool we've done this mix everyone's happy great i you know sit on it for a month go back to the studio hmm that kick doesn't sound right you know like because it's not gone anywhere like if it's gone you you make your peace with it if it's not gone anywhere you still have the opportunity to fiddle around with it yeah so i guess i'm curious more about the in terms of like for example 
Indian uh, rhythms are like very, very complex, and uh, especially on any instrument that was that's like a you know Indian classical music. I did I took a lot of um, I, I don't know I guess you'd call them ethnomusicology courses or something in college, and I was actually in an Indian singing ensemble that was run by a quasi-famous in America uh, Indian singer whose name escapes me at the moment. But I learned enough about it to know that it would be a lifetime to learn anything about it at all. And there's, but that there's maybe thousands of years of super established ways that people have been doing these things and like all this rich history and depth to the music and the way that things, they do things. And then you're like, cool, I wrote this guitar riff. (laughs) And and we've got blast beats. What do you like? <laughs> please play a tabla part on top of this. Like, was there any back and forth about how that would actually fit together, or did you did they just know what to do with it? No, they just know what to do with it. Like, I mean, because they're not writing their own music, right? They're following a straight four by four, or whatever, and it's just they know what to accent. I mean, for me, it's just like I honestly don't know jack shit about Indian music yeah. because first of all there is nothing that is inherently Indian music like every single state in India has its own culture its language its food its music so I think when most people are talking about Indian music they're talking about Hindustani classical you know Okay. because the music in southern India is totally different the instruments yeah. are different the uh, vocalization is different you know the languages are different uh, if you go to the northeastern part of India that is completely different if you go to Rajasthan the desert the the instruments there are again different so to say like that's the thing right like when people in the west say like oh man your band is from india you should have some indian sound (laughs) the thing is there is nothing that is inherently indian so to speak like it's like that's the reason you don't say oh do you speak indian no because there's no such language called indian every there are 122 languages in india but like yeah okay Uh, The language used in, say, Bollywood movies is Hindi, which is maybe the more most well-known of the languages, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's why like when like Indian music, whichever region you go from, like, I don't know anything about it. In fact, I don't even know if I have any musical heritage because I'm a Sindhi, which is originally I come from a part that's now in Pakistan. And my family moved to Bombay when I was, I mean, before I was born. So I grew up in a house listening to Aretha Franklin and uh, The Doors and Led Zeppelin and uh, Mariah Carey and Madonna. And like, that's the music my parents listened to. We spoke English at home, so I don't even speak my own language, Hindi, uh, Sindhi. Uh, I don't even speak, speak my state language very well, which is Marathi. So for me, it's as alien as it is for you, you know. So wow. when I'm when I'm working with like Indian musicians, because I did work in the recording studio where I recorded them, I just go by sound. Like they know what they're doing, so they've learned their craft. So you come and play. You can figure it out, and and it's pretty simple, <laughs> I think. Like because they know their shit. Yeah. So yeah. So it was even for you a an exploration, a learning experience of of just um, yeah trusting people. I don't know that I could find a sitar player locally, like a. You can. They're all there. You're just right, but I mean, it's probably a bit easier for you to find somebody genuine who's really uh, in it. But I don't know. Maybe not. But it's 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 just interesting to hear that you, it was for you just as much of a learning experience as it would be for me or for somebody in Ohio or Topeka or whatever. Yeah, I mean, the only thing, the only difference is, is I would have been accustomed to the sounds and like I've heard it 
in popular music here like i may not have ever sat down and really listened to indian classical music but obviously growing up bollywood had some it's fucking excruciating by the way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> indian classical music is excruciating sorry continue yeah so i mean like obviously the the sound of a sitar is not alien to me you know but like again it, we were lucky to have someone like rishab who is a metal head who plays sitar i don't think it would have been as easy if if i had to find a sitar player who's never heard metal in his life before you know yeah he's kind of the perfect crossover yeah you know so it's like there are obviously sitar players who work in film and all who are you know clued into recording so they can get down there they can play to a click but like otherwise you know like you have to kind of get them into the music and there's a lot a different headspace like at least with the with the tabla player because it's percussive you can it's it's a lot easier i feel but yeah you know what i mean like it's basically it's we were just lucky that we found the right guys to fill in you know the 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 spots like even the flute player he plays in a rock band and he's obviously heard iron maiden metallica and he listens to some of that so he's got some uh kind of exposure to playing in a in a rock setting you know yeah that's awesome it's really interesting to hear just all the way around because you know when i hear this album i just thought like oh cool sahil is indian this is an indian band it makes perfect sense to have indian sounds like you're saying but that doesn't really mean anything exactly because there's this whole there's layers and layers and layers and layers that as somebody who born and raised in the US yeah. <laughs> went to public school has no fucking understanding of um goddamn that's interesting so i guess do you uh, see yourself integrating those kinds of sounds in other stuff as you as you move forward when you if it's if that was an experiment, do you think it was successful and you liked it and you'd do it again or something else? Well, that's interesting because there are two ways to look at this for me. The the larger picture is definitely from a lyrical and um, a, a sort of um, from a lyrical perspective. I I think I'm done with Hindu mythology because for me now in hindsight, like obviously I I can't undo writing the album ever, but. Unfortunately the album has come off more religious than it actually is meant to be. It's like somebody actually just writing out stories from the Bible and I mean you would think of it as a Christian metal album if somebody did that which is pretty much what Christian metal is. And currently like India has is having major religious and uh, political problems because again far right wing government pro Hindu so I'm quite like uh like to disassociate myself with religion because i absolutely hate religion and kind of like looking back it's like oh god what have i done <laughs> uh huh cuz 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 all the songs if you just take out that intro of matsya it's like oh man you are like praising hindu gods and uh, and i realized that yeah that's not what i ever wanted to do you know i can see that like there's serious amounts of killings and violence in the country all in the name of you know religion and it's obviously because hindu religion is the majority here in india right now it is it's the like the they call it hindutva which is basically the hindu terrorist so to speak if you ask me but yeah so that's that's one thing that uh, like i definitely don't see myself going down that and that road i don't know how much sense it it would make to try and throw in the indian instruments unless they fit 
some theme that I'm working with. But as of now, I, I feel myself going back more to where DR has come from, which is the oldest, older sort of lyrical themes, which is obviously more Scandinavian, like you said, you know, it, at least that's what I'm more comfortable with. And again, it, it's going to also depend who we work with now, because going forward, you know, like right now we work with Mystique. So, I mean, it would be odd to even try and incorporate any Indian instruments unless we work with somebody who specializes in, in that sound uh, or, you know, creating those kind of keyboard parts for us because uh, you got to work with musicians and, you know, have them work with their strengths. That makes perfect sense to me. I always think of the keyboard samples or orchestration or synthesizers or whatever as like a big flavor element for metal and i usually miss it if there isn't at least some of that in 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 the metal that i listen to mainly because i think of metal as a a little bit like tofu like it doesn't really taste like that much by itself but it's absorbs stuff so well and it can be yeah. any flavor you know and that's why we have these millions and millions of little sub genres of metal and and stuff is like all these different influences coming in that you can flavor it with and um I, I hope that as a chef, you appreciate that metaphor. You're welcome. <laughs> I do. I do. But I think actually the question that I should have asked a little bit more general in that, that was the influence and the flavor of that album. Was there any anything that you've maybe been listening to or that you maybe will incorporate in the future as a, as a different new flavor for some stuff? Anything you've been wanting to explore or that you have done on the new stuff i would have loved to have some more tech that elements in the music i make but i just don't have the guitar skills to <laughs> to do it because i listen to a lot of tech that i mean i love artspire obscura um the new Falua song falu how do you say it faluja 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 well that's how we say it and how the band uh says it when i've heard them say it <laughs> but it's probably not right <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, I love all that stuff, you know, and um, I'd love to be, be able to write those kind of crazy complex riffs. But that's not, I guess, my style as a musician. I, I think for me, it's it's going to be just what comes naturally. I think that's just the, the most honest way I can write. And I think maybe I'll, I'll take more inspiration from art, you know, I think that is kind of... I like sitting down with these four artworks and kind of writing songs based on them you know coming up mm -hmm. with titles and lyrics because if I, if i'm sitting and sort of creating the because again right now it's just me running the ship so if i'm going to you know ideate on the title on the artwork on you know every single thing it's it's going to become boring so i think for me it's it's about delegating where possible like you know because even for these artworks that we did it we didn't give them any brief you know like earlier it would be like, okay, this is the album title. Okay, you know, can you put like this guy here in the cover and this guy here in the cover and have this here and like very detailed feedback and ideas. Now I'm more like, here's the, here's a one line brief and, and take it wherever you can take it. You know, it's like you said, I'm just basically relinquishing control to other people, which then in turn fuels me in a different way, you know. Earlier, it would be fights with bandmates arguing about this riff is good, it should stay here. No, just remove that riff, it's crap, you know. So now it's like, this is the way I let other people sort of bring in some influence into what I'm doing that, you know, gets me a little bit out of my comfort zone at least. Yeah, so you um, are taking a little bit of sort of cross 
uh, medium, you like to you like to look at pieces of visual art and get ideas yeah. and inspiration from that. That's cool. That's a yeah. Why not that's a do cool something technique. different? You know. Yeah, I can think of no reason why not. <laughs> so I think what I'd like to hear about next, if it's all right, is. Um, the sort of the almost the opposite end of what you're talking about your your involvement with this band Solus X and Fairies and you're where you're the vocalist and it's uh with Lord Marco on the drums and it's almost like you're I mean I I don't know for sure but it seems like you're just doing vocals and um almost in the way that you will hire a drummer and a bass player to do your thing. You're the, you're the one they're outsourcing the vocal parts to. So how, um, how does that work generally? Am I right in my close. assessment? <laughs> <laughs> so, so Solus X in forest, I think that's how it is. I, I'm not sure on the pronunciation, <laughs> but uh, it's Latin, right? I don't think anybody knows how to, pr- how to pronounce Latin. Yeah. Solus X in Ferris. So, cause everyone who's ever spoken, it is long dead. <laughs> so we're all right. <laughs> Yeah, we're all right. So that that's actually the project is the, that project is the brainchild of Dave, uh, who's the guitar player, and he's basically he's me. How I do Demon Stealer? This is his uh, project, and he's been working with Marco on drums for quite a while now. Uh, we've had bass players change, but I'm like a, a proper member of the band. Uh, he had just again posted on some group saying looking for a vocalist. I was free, so I said, sure, why not? I did some vocals, sent it, he liked it. He said, do you want to join the band? I said, sure. Uh, but yeah, I, th- with that band, I pretty much also made it clear that, look, I like I can, there's only so much I can do because I already have so many other projects. So uh, he writes the music, he sends me demos whenever he's done writing it. Then it goes to Marco who records drums, then bass, lead guitar, and then it comes to me and I write uh the lyrics based on either a title that he has come up with for the album or EP that we're doing. And uh, then I'll write song names based on whatever theme he's sort of selected. And uh, that's pretty much how it goes. And like, it's it's pretty easy that way because it's coming up with lyrical ideas and topics is generally very difficult. So when he's like, hey, we're doing an EP on this, EP on this, these are what you can you know pick from for songs and stuff. It's, it's like, great. And I just record my vocals and I send it to them and that's pretty much it. So it's, 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 in fact that for some reason I, I get that stuff done really quickly. Like if there are, I do a song a day with, with that band, like I can finish a song in a day. And generally there are very rarely any like feedback notes saying, please redo this part or can you do this again or something. So it's pretty good. Yeah. I imagine it's a bit less of a bit less stress because you only have to do the one thing you don't have to write any other parts you write your vocals you record them and that's the end of that right yeah that's true actually yeah sounds kind of nice easy peasy and there's no there's no singing there's no singing involved so that makes it a lot less stressful right don't have to write any melodies either yeah just the brutes just the brutes just just the growls that's cool is there anything that you do that you feel like is unique to the way that you work anything that you do that you feel like you're doing that's uh, unique in terms of the process specifically that other people don't really do? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, I can't imagine that this isn't the process of a lot of people, you know, sit down with the guitar, come up with a riff that you really like, and then you build a song from that. And then you stack up the different layers after that. I mean, the thing is, I've written songs in many different ways, like 
like I said, when we started Demonic Resurrection, it was Sahil sits and Sahil finishes song from start to end. The next album that, I mean, the re-recording of the first album was Sahil sits and does his parts and involves the rest of the band in doing their parts, you know. But they're all playing the parts that he has written. So uh, that was how I started there. Then came the new Demonic Resurrection lineup where they said, where they said, we're not going to play any of your old songs. We're going to write songs together. That's when we actually jammed every single week for two, three hours. We would write single, single parts, stitch songs together. And that's what you hear on the Darkness Descends album or Darkness Descends. You know, that was, uh, there was the drummer was JP at the time. Hussein was playing bass, Mephisto on keys and myself on guitars. It was actually written in the jam room, those songs. A lot of the ideas may have been riffs from songs that I had written, but I would take the riff to the jam room, not a full recording of the song. And I'd say, okay, let's start. This is the first riff. I'd play it for them. Then we'd start jamming to it. Then we'd try a new part. Like, you know, it was all very organic. And actually some of the parts on that album were written by the drummer and Mephisto when they would reach the rehearsal room early and they would jam before the rest of us <laughs> got there. They'd be like, hey, we wrote this part now. You know, that was... Um, the process for that album then there was workshop which is my comedy band where for that uh, first album as well it was a lot of us jamming every single day in my house and recording uh, because we had an electronic drum kit and uh, basically my bedroom was the studio come rehearsal space so a lot of that was just fooling around and because it's a funny band it was just jokes and there are like these vlogs on youtube uh, of our recording sessions and yeah, that, a lot of that was composed, like at least the basic ideas for the songs and riffs and drum parts were all done in in rehearsal rooms. Uh, then fast forward 2007, uh, that's kind of when DR had a bit of a lineup crisis again. And I did that entire EP on my own, more or less, including the keys. Uh, I, I don't know how they let me do it, but just, yeah, <laughs> I, I did most of that on my own. Then Viru joined the band. And again, the return to darkness was a lot of jamming uh, in the jam room. And Mephisto, by that point, was starting to also write more and more. So, like, there are, uh, I think, two songs on the return to darkness that were his ideas. So he would come in and say, "I've got this uh, song," and he would have his the like as much of the song as he could record in his house on the keys. So it would just be keys, and then he would say, "Okay, I want Viru. Can you play this on the drums here?" And we literally structured those in the jam room. Daniel also wrote a little bit. So uh, there was this entire like phase in DR where it was a lot of actual like a band rehearsing and writing music together, you know, even though I may have been the main songwriter with the songs, but it was all put together in the rehearsal room. So it was a very different sort of approach to things. So looking back on all of these sort of blended different ways that you've worked over the over the whole history of your time writing music, you've done uh, everything from pure collaboration all together in the jam room to complete isolation, working totally by yourself, doing every aspect of it, all the way through the mix, even. Yeah, mix and master as well, yeah. Uh, mix and master, editing, the whole nine yards being the one-stop shop. Which of those have you enjoyed the most? And which do you think had the best outcome and were they the same or different? Which version of all of that? Honestly, I think each of them has pros and cons, you know. Um, obviously, for me, the stuff that I'm writing now is the best stuff. I mean, 
and currently i am more or less collaborating with a whole bunch of musicians so i obviously feel that gets the best output you know mm-hmm. but that's not to say i mean if i have the opportunity tomorrow to actually do an album where it is me and other musicians jamming it out in in a jam room and then putting the songs together there's no nothing to say that that won't be the best i've ever done because i i think it's more about where i am on my musical journey than which way is better than the other you know mm-hmm. it's like next year whatever i do is going to be better than this year whether i do it as a collaboration completely isolated or you know with a with a band jamming in the jam room it won't matter whichever one it is that will be the best because it's more about my evolution of a, as a musician than the actual process itself okay well which would you say that you have done already not thinking about what you'll do next would you say you've enjoyed the most do you do you prefer to or do, have you in hindsight enjoyed like goofing off with workshop and, and just in your bedroom to write versus just going doing this thing and you're in front of the daw by yourself i miss jamming with workshop like the band's been defunct it's over it's never going to happen again like but like i would love to have that like i haven't had a band rehearsal in 5 years i think like a proper we are all members of the same band we're all equally committed to this project like i haven't had that in 5 years so i i mean i would love to have that again someday and that would bring me great joy but since that's not happening i do quite enjoy sitting by myself and you know playing drums and recording drums and having play all the instruments on my album but then again i also love watching these insane drummers send me their drum videos where they are playing the most insane blast beats and double bass and i'm just like why do i even play drums you know <laughs> cuz it's fun as shit i agree <laughs> i saw it in your studio video dude you got it's it's the most fun i don't i'll never be good i'll never be good at the drums i don't care one bit <laughs> <laughs> it's the most fun um well i uh i love hearing this stuff i really do i say this all the time the reason that i started this podcast isn't for anyone else but myself to learn all of these things and hear about them. And I think that other that everyone thinks that their process isn't that interesting or special. And by the time we get to the end of the interview, I'm like, I haven't heard this from anybody else. Like it's I mean, a lot of the elements are the same, but it's all almost like you're saying, the evolution of how you work all the time it's always changing. It's about it's less about the exact specific process and more about just where you're headed and what what you need at that time and that's extraordinarily important to hear especially you know because everybody thinks that they are just doing it a regular way that everybody does it and it's just not true <laughs> i started this because i was like huh i assume that this is how everyone does it but i have no fucking idea <laughs> so um this has all been absolutely fascinating, and I really appreciate you coming on and telling us all this stuff. Um, so we can expect uh, two more Demonic Resurrection new singles um, in this series. That you So one coming up in about uh, a little less than two weeks, and then one a month after that. What else do you have on the horizon? You should get a Demon Stealer full-length album by the end of this year as well. A full-length album with eight new songs. Yes, eight new songs with four awesome drummers on it, four 
epic bass players i still haven't figured out the lead guitar players and guest vocals but i'll let you know once we figure that out but definitely four incredible i volunteer as tribute <laughs> i'm very affordable i know for you I'll do it for free. Oh, <laughs> you, you've got it on camera. I'm not as good as probably most of the dick rippers you get, but don't feel obligated. You don't have to call me. I won't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> but that sounds awesome. That sounds great. A full, uh, full length, eight songs. So you got two, two songs per drummer then. Two songs per drummer, two songs per bass player. Oh, making them, making them work hard this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I got a lot more bass players this album. Most bands can't find one drummer and one bass player. You're out here. That you, you've got all of them. That's why we can't find them. It's because you've got you're hogging them all. I I'm always shocked when people say that. Like there are so many of them. I think I have gone through about twelve bass players in total because there were so many who were like, either they were going on tour or they were in between some recording and like and I still managed to get four insane bass players. <laughs> well, you got you got some some social skill of of nabbing these dudes that uh, we all could learn from um <laughs> that's great though um i'm i'm always excited to see all the things that you're working on and um you know i i sometimes ask people like oh where can they find you that's a dumbass question in this day and age google the demon stealer and all of his various and sundry amazing projects Personally, I suggest that you start with Dash Avatar. That's my personal recommendation from the Gear God. Uh, but as always, it's a rabbit hole, and you will not be disappointed with any with any of it. So, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time today. It's probably very late where you are now. Well, one a.m. Yeah, one a.m. So, thank you. All right, thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the How Songs Are Made podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform for weekly episodes. And if you're interested in seeing these episodes recorded live, I stream the interviews every Monday at 11 a.m. PST on the Gear Gods YouTube channel. Big thanks to today's sponsor, DistroKid. Be sure to head over to distrokid.com slash VIP slash GG for 7% off your first year.